0: Good morning, and welcome. Uh, extend my welcome to you if you're visiting with us, uh, and I'd love to meet you afterwards if uh, if I could. So please come and introduce yourself. We are studying the summer uh, the Apostles' Creed, uh, one of the old oldest creeds that the church has known, and we've come today to two phrases: He descended into hell and. The third day he rose again from the dead. Now, as to the first phrase, which in many ways is kind of controversial, it has uh, kind of odd beginnings, it wasn't in the early part, early versions of the creed, and it means different things to people. Uh, I uh, did a four page paper that you can pick up on a uh, table on the way out if you're interested, okay? (laughs) Uh, to explore this phrase and what I think uh, how we could deal with this phrase, he descended into hell. So I'm reserving all of that for uh, the paper if you're interested to to look into that. So this morning I'd like for us to focus on the third day he arose again from the grave. Uh, And you see there are three points there, but we're, we're going to focus only on the first point about forgiveness, uh, but I did include a passage for each of the other, and I just wanted to set before you a little more the holistic view or, or holistic benefit of the uh, resurrection that we're not only raised into a new life of forgiveness, but one of freedom from sin as expressed in Romans 6 there and a new life of future hope as expressed in Romans 8. So I hope that you might look into those and and study through and see what they have to offer as well. But there is so much uh, to be dealt with in terms of the forgiveness into which we have been raised. So turn with me to Romans chapter 3, or actually it should be Romans chapter 4. That's a typo. That's my fault. Romans chapter 4. And I'll actually begin reading with verse 16. Now, in this passage, Paul is setting up or setting forth Abraham as an example of faith for us. How we are to have the same faith of Abraham. But you'll see as he unfolds this that Abraham's object of faith or the direction of his faith is trusting God that he would indeed receive a son. And ours is directed toward Christ's death and especially his resurrection, and that's why of using this passage. Verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring that is Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And so Paul is saying here, whether you're circumcised or not, it doesn't matter if you have the faith of Abraham. That's what is critical. That's what makes you a child of Abraham, not being circumcised any longer, but having the faith of Abraham. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Here's God promising offspring to a man who's 100 years old and his wife is 90 years old, right? That's the promise. That's why he He says he was believing in the one who gives life to the dead. Verse 18, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, bless us as we seek to understand more deeply what you have accomplished for your people in the resurrection and enable us us to live it out Fully in our lives for your glory and honor. Amen. Now, some things that happen to us bring a change into every day of our lives. Like, you don't have a baby, then you have a baby, right? That changes everything. Or, on the other end, you lose a loved one, this person perhaps that you've been with for years and years and suddenly they're not there that changes every day or something like getting a new job in a new city and every day now you're in a different place and you meet you're you're around totally different people than you would have been it changes every day of your life well the resurrection of Jesus Christ is another, let's say it should be another, and it can be another for each one of us, thing that changes every day of our lives. We, we start maybe with that question. Is it changing every day of your life? Is it affecting every circumstance in your life? And how can we nourish our days In the resurrection of Christ, how can we nourish ourselves so that indeed its sweet influence is transforming our days? And these three things as are listed in your bulletin are aspects of this new life. But we're going to focus on the first one, that Christ's resurrection brings us into a new life of forgiveness. This passage we read is really about two resurrections in a sense. The first is the birth of a son to Abraham and Sarah, who as to ability to produce a child, they were dead, yet they had a child. There's no possibility of this new life, and yet there was new life. It's a kind of resurrection, you see. And it even describes in verse 17 his faith that he believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And in verse 21, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised, even though he couldn't physically have a child. And so Paul relates this faith, Abraham's faith, in believing God for a child to our faith in believing God in God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the passage climaxes in verse 25 with a little poetic, concise couplet that is a short way of saying that in the death and resurrection of Christ, he stood in our place to bear the punishment for our sin and he was raised to show that those who trust in him are declared not guilty; they're declared justified. That's some of what he. That's that's the essence of what he means by he was delivered up for our trans- trespasses, and was raised for our justification. Now his death has to do with our justification, but here resurrection, in particular is associated with our justification. So let's look into this. How can we benefit from this understanding of the resurrection of Christ? So when Christ was raised from the dead, as we've said many times, it was a sure indication that his punishment was finished, including physical death. Physical death is the great sign that we are under the curse of God. We die because we are under sin as human beings. And so when Christ steps out of death altogether, it's, it's a shock. Wait a minute. He's fully paid for sin. There's no punishment left. He was released from death. You can't hold him anymore. He's, really, he's fully freed from the punishment of sin because he escaped death, the great sign Of the punishment of sin. And this is how it can help you and me to better understand the forgiveness that we have in Christ. When you trust in Christ, you are permanently identified with the released one, the one who's been released. You see, here's Christ under sin, under the punishment of sin. He's dead for three days, then he escapes death, he conquers death, he enters his resurrection body. This is gone. When you trust in Christ, you are associated with this Christ who has done with sin, who has escaped from the punishment of sin. That's, that punishment is done forever. And even if you die. Death is not the last word. Just as death could not hold him, death will not be able to hold you because punishment is gone. That is such an important point for you and me to think of ourselves as one with Christ who is completely released from sin so that you are completely released from sin. How can you be punished for sin when you're identified with Christ, who can never be punished for sin. His place now is your place. Listen to how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 2. And you, and this, this is uh, very much like the passage that we uh, was, was read to us from Ephesians 2. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So you see, Paul is saying, he made you alive with Christ and a vital part of making you alive with Christ is all of your trespasses are forgiven. So his resurrection means you are raised into a life of being forgiven. That is your resurrection now. Now, you live out that life now. You are joined to the son who is released, the son who is accepted and embraced by the Father. No even he's rejoiced over by the Father and you are associated with him. And so he rejoices over you because you're identified now forever with Christ. Christ is called the beloved In scripture, you are called the beloved because you are associated now with the resurrected one. You now have a royal standing with God through Christ. You are resurrected to this whole new relationship with God of forgiveness and intimacy. That's what the resurrection proclaims to us. And... Brothers and sisters, you are allowed, you know, to live in daily joy that you are associated with this released one. That's your privilege as the people of God, to be filled with exultation and exhilaration, that you're forever forgiven in Christ. This is one of the most vital aspects of believing in his resurrection. Believing the resurrection is not simply, I believe that God physically raised Christ from the dead. I believe the tomb was empty. I believe God has the power. I believe God did it. So I believe in the resurrection. No, no, that's just the beginning or that that's involved, but it, Belief in the resurrection means this and more, but it means this. I believe that because God raised Christ from the dead, he is released from sin and I am released from sin. I believe that I am forever freed from the punishment of sin. I am as freed from that punishment as Jesus is himself. I believe the third day he rose again from the dead. See, that's what you believe When you say, I believe that the third day he rose again from the dead. I believe in the forgiveness of sins that is declared in the resurrection. Now, I want to give you three warnings about forgiveness. Three things not to allow. First is, don't allow your circumstances to crowd out forgiveness. Don't allow your circumstances to crowd out forgiveness. This is not easy. We must refresh ourselves daily, regularly, constantly as to what the resurrection means for us. We get to meditate on what God has done for us in Christ Jesus through the resurrection. We get to be filled with joy over it. And this joy can shine light into every circumstance of your life. It's more important than anything else in your life is to live out this forgiveness. But that's one of the subtle ways we don't enjoy this forgiveness. It, bec- it can become relatively unimportant to us because many, many other things are way more important to us. Rather than our being released from Jesus, forming this solid base of comfort and perspective and joy, it gets crowded to the sidelines while our life can practically be tortured with the things that aren't going well, with our day, with our job, our family, other relationships, our church, and on and on and on. And where's forgiveness in all this? Where's the enjoyment of forgiveness? Where's the comfort? the exhilaration of forgiveness. It's loss in the jumble of our lives. It's like washed away in this flood. It's gone. It, it doesn't benefit us. It doesn't transform us. And of course, it's not that these things aren't important and don't deserve at times anguish and tears and honest crying to God and confusion and shock. Yes, but we Always get to identify with the resurrection of Christ. We get to see ourselves as always joined to Him, released from sin and punishment. And if that gets shoved into the closet, it removes joy and gratitude and strength from your life. Things that you desperately need to deal with your circumstances. You view God, we view God many times in the light of our circumstances, not in the light of His mighty accomplishment in the resurrection of Christ. And so it's not that you would ignore the great difficulties of your life, but you encounter them with the foundation of being identified with the one who is released. Actually believing and embracing the resurrection can indeed change every day of your life. Don't make an idol of your circumstances. Don't worship your circumstances and allow your sense of well-being to be governed by them and not by your new life of forgiveness that you have through the death and resurrection of Christ. Secondly, don't allow your self-implosion to crowd out forgiveness. I'm calling it self-implosion, okay? I'll try to explain a little bit. I'm convinced that we human beings like the attention of not being forgiven. That may sound strange, but I've run into it in myself and others for many years. You see, forgiveness messes with the implosion of self we've got going on, our little self-pity party, right? Where we focus on how bad it is for me. And we push away forgiveness because of the implications of what it would mean to free me up to give myself away for others. Here's one favorite line in the false humility of of this self-pity. I know the Lord forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Ever said that or heard that? Sounds noble, doesn't it? You know, I'm not not saying anything against God. God forgives me, that's great. But I'm so humble and broken and concerned about myself. I just can't forgive myself. Now, one of my favorite things is Babylon B, right? Which... Is, uh, has a satire uh, uh, that's written for things Christians do and say and, and other things as well. So here's the Babylon Bee announcing a false headline, but here it is. Woman declares, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself, says woman whose moral compass is more developed than God. <laughs> is that the case? See, God has a sense of holiness, right? God is holy and pure, infinitely beyond any of us, yet He forgives your sin. But you have a greater moral compass than God, and you can't forgive your sin? He goes on to say I'll paraphrase the last sentence that this woman says I know that Christ died for my sins and was raised for my justification and release from sin, but I need to wallow in guilt and shame for a while before I feel the job is really done. Ouch. (laughs) That one's close to home. To say, you see, I can't forgive myself is really to say I reject the release of the resurrection. I refuse the release of the resurrection. I don't want it. I don't want the implications of that. I don't want the freedom of it. I don't want the happiness of it. And for many of us, we hold on to our sadness like an idol that keeps the attention right here on how bad it is. And to receive forgiveness is to begin to admit the world in Christ can be a wonderful thing in the midst of its terrible things. And I could have the capacity to give myself away to others even when the worst things are happening to me. It changes this implosion. When we enjoy forgiveness, it grows us in kindness and in patience and joyful focus on others. Forgiving others as God has forgiven us, that messes with our little implosion of self. Or... Another version, maybe you like to nurse grudges. You keep careful count of what people have done against you. And what people has done, what people have done against you concerns you way more than what you've done against God. Sometimes we've been hurt severely by others, perhaps even when we were young. And we respond by this crippling, clinging to dignity and any wrong that is done to us. That's another way the implosion of self can be crowding out the forgiveness of God. Larry Crabb was talking to a lady after he talked one time on this subject, and she described to him the abuse she had received from both of her parents. And he asked her the question in their discussion, do you find in you the capacity to worship God? And she says, how could I worship a God who's allowed this to happen? And Larry Crabb said something that stuck with me for decades. He said, until she begins, begins to realize that her sin against God is worse than any sin that her parents have done against her, she will be bound by what happened to her. And she won't walk in the freedom of forgiveness you see, Satan wants to use pain in your life to shut you down, to create implosion in your life, to create the excuse that you don't have to spin yourself lavishly for others, which is your only freedom and joy. What a deadly trap. What a deadly response to pain that we've received. But in the forgiveness of Christ, there is this freedom. And this leads to a final point. Don't allow pride and self-righteousness to crowd out forgiveness. You see, for some of us, the reason you don't trust in this forgiveness is you don't really think that you need this forgiveness. Not really. The woman who washed Jesus' feet in Luke 7, Ryan preached on this some months back. The woman who washed Jesus' feet was overwhelmed, was joyful in awe of the fact that she had been forgiven of her sins. The Pharisee at whose house they were, was he really could take take or leave Jesus. He hardly gave Jesus the time of day because he thought he was a pretty good guy. She knew the depth of her sin and she was in awe of the forgiveness of God. He didn't even recognize this sin. And so forgiveness meant nothing to him. You see, some of us do play up what people have done to us and we downplay what we've done to God because we have no idea God's assessment of how each one of us has refused him and rejected him is severe. Here's just one example. As God describes all mankind, each one of us in Romans chapter three. So hear God's assessment of my life, your life, okay? Uh, take it personally, all right? <laughs> I don't the opposite of don't take this personal." No, take this personally. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. This is assessing us apart from the grace of God, apart from his salvation. Then he gets specific. Now, if you think your feet are not swift to shed blood, let's talk about hatred and resentment and bitterness and revenge. You see, it's not only what you and I have done wrong to people, it's what we fail to do for people. It's not only what you do and don't do, it's what you say and don't say. It's not only what you say and don't say, it's what you think and don't think. How far short do we fall Of the two great commandments Jesus stated that summarize the whole Bible, love God with every fiber of your being and love your neighbor just like you love yourself. Let's just measure that. Let's measure that. How do we stand in judgment day on that basis? As we read earlier in Colossians, we were, and some of us perhaps still are, dead in trespasses and sin, helplessly fixed sinner against God. Every one of us needs the resurrection of a new life of forgiveness. Or we ourselves will rightly suffer terrible judgment forever in the last day. We each are desperate for this resurrection into for, the, for a new life of forgiveness. To be identified, not with our sin anymore, but to be identified with the one who's released from sin. Oh, that's what we need. That's what any one of you can have. It was absolutely necessary that Christ be delivered up for our transgressions that he would be raised for our justification. Otherwise, we all would have died in our sins. We all would have lived and died under judgment. But he bore that judgment away, and you can be identified with the release one forever and grow in living out his kindness and patience and forgiveness in your life. So, I urge you, don't wait another day. Trust him. Now, believe in Jesus. Now, you don't have to use these exact words, but here's just an example of how you can pray. Father, thank you for giving your son to die for sin. Thank you for the hope that he's raised from the dead, forever released from sin's punishment. Lord Jesus, I trust in what you've done for me, I trust you to take away my sin. To release me forever from the punishment of sin. Raise me up, O oh Lord, to this new life of forgiveness. This new life of freedom. Oh Lord, rescue me. Raise me up into forgiveness. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we pray. Give us your grace. Give us your mercy, Lord. To enjoy Your forgiveness, to delight in that forgiveness, to really embrace the resurrection and what it means that we are forever released from any punishment for any of our sins. Oh, Lord, the freedom this can give your people. The joy and strength, the resiliency, the growing change of how we deal with one another the release from all of our bondage, our implosion of self. As you yourself said, he died that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised for us. Oh Lord, let it be true for, for even more this morning as you enable people to trust in you for your glory and honor, we pray.